0: Psalm 50, if you have a Bible or if you want to follow along on the screen. Psalm 50, a psalm of Asaph. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you, Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept the bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble i will deliver you and you shall glorify me but to the wicked god says what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips for you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was like one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. So today, we are starting a new series called Walking with God. Uh, Walking with God is basically living everyday real life, the everyday real life where we sin, where we suffer, where sometimes we succeed, but living that everyday real life with the real God. And I think as we come back to regather as a church uh, tonight, there's an important question that we need to ask ourselves. Is our walk with God authentic? Are we the real deal, or are we just playing games? What really is the difference between true religion and false religion? Now, uh, it's no secret that we care deeply about authenticity, right? We want to know that somebody's the real deal. Uh, We want to know that what we're seeing is what we're getting. And I think I can illustrate this for you with, with a simple slice of life, what I would call the organic foods controversy. See, when I was in college, I took a class, and uh, we, we learned about an, uh, an act that was passed in California a few, a few years back, where they actually said that, that all the items in the grocery store had to be labeled if they were not organic. They wanted people to know that they wanted people to know that if they were going to buy those products, they were willfully buying something that was not organic. But guess what? Here was the problem: after just a few weeks, they had to repeal the act because almost nothing in the grocery store, even the things in the store that had the word organic on the label, didn't actually meet the organic standards. In an article in 2008 on the Organic Foods Production Act, the problem gets stated this way. Tight supplies of certain organic commodities, particularly dairy products, and the entry into the market of major grocery retailers wanting to sell organic foods are adding pressure to this debate. Critics charge that large organic dairy operations are not abiding by the intent of the OFPA by feeding organic grain to cows in feedlots, and that the principle of grazing is central to the consumer's concept of organic milk. In other words, everybody's definition of organic is different. Does the milk have to be organic? Does the cow have to be organic? Does the food that the cow eats has to be organic? Does the cow actually have to be grazing out in the field somewhere for him to be considered organic? Genuineness and and, uh, what we would call authenticity are only as reliable as the standard to which they've been set. Before we can even begin to evaluate authenticity, we must agree on the standard for authenticity. So here's the question which Psalm 50 is going to ask of us. Are we willing to test our own authenticity before God? Would our Christianity be labeled organic? Are we the real deal or are we just playing church? When all of us come to stand before the righteous judge, we will find out whether we actually have true religion or false religion. We're either going to find out that we have Christianity or what J.C. Ryle called churchianity. And Ortland said it this way Every Sunday, they still play church. They line up in rows for the entertainment. If it's pretty good, their church may grow. If it's not too hot, eventually they'll drift off to play something else. Could we get honest enough to admit that maybe the reason that America seems less Christian is because us Christians in America have become less Christian? Can you think of a better time than now for us to search our hearts and ask, is our Christianity true or false? Are we authentic or are we just playing games? Now, before we dive into the text, I do feel the need to defend my use of the word religion. I know that many of us have come to hear that word with a sense of disdain, you know, when a a good well-meaning friend of ours tells someone else that we are religious. We just just cringe and say, oh, I'm not religious. Ah," We struggle with that. So... Uh, this is what, this is how the Bible comes at it though. The the Bible assumes that we all have a religion because we all worship something. Uh, in James chapter one, James tells us that, that everybody's religion is either worthless or it is pure and undefiled That's James one, 26 and 27. So this is my definition of true religion. True religion is the worship of God that is pleasing to him, which flows from the life of Christ in us. I'll say that one more time. True religion is the worship of God, which is pleasing to him, which flows from the life of Christ in us. So the question this evening is not uh, whether or not we are religious. The question is whether our religion is true or false. So, first of all, true religion comes from the true God. Verses 1 through 6. True religion comes from the true God. Uh, Initially, when we read Psalm 50, it's a little hard to understand these first six verses. There's some interesting imagery in these first six verses, like from the rising of the sun to its setting, and out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth, and before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. But then verse 5 gives us a little clue that I think helps us understand what's going on here. In verse 5, it says, Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me, by sacrifice. In other words, Psalm 50, at least the first six verses, is sort of like a, a, po- a poetic reenactment of the moment when God met his people Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. We've got God on high, we've got him speaking to his people, we've got the, the, the fire, we've got the storm, and He's, uh, his righteousness is being uh, shown forth. In other words, this is God, the mighty one, the great I am, and he is laying down the law for his people. That's how we should be uh, reading these first six verses. So, what we need to own from the start today is that whatever comes from God is true, because he is a true God. In other words, the the reason that the Ten Commandments are righteous is because God Himself is righteous and the Ten Commandments come from Him. Uh, Ali. My wife, for those of you who uh, don't know me, um, she always makes fun of me because I really, really love Ben and Jerry's chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. And lately, especially when we we go to the grocery store, I always say, you know what, babe, I think I'm going to try something new today. I think I'm going to get a different flavor. So I leave her and my son, Benjamin, in the car because they kind of, that's what they're doing these days. And I go and I walk into the grocery store and I make my purchase and I come back out and Sure enough, every time she says, so what'd you get? And I say, chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Every time, because this is why I know I can trust it. I know it's good. I know I love it. And so I go for it every time. Authenticity is about trust. It's the, it's the ability to know that what you're seeing is what you're getting. And knowing that the God we're dealing with is himself truth means that his genuineness is off the charts God's authenticity is out the roof. So what does all this mean for us? It means that the authenticity of our religion flows out from the authenticity of God. As verse 6 puts it, the heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judge. In other words, if we want true religion, then it must come from God. God Himself is the standard. So, Let's make a little practical application just right here up at the front. Just think about our world for a second. So much of the confusion that we see in our world comes from the fact that we are all subscribing to our own sense of righteousness. Think just for a minute about all the hot button issues. Think about politics, think about racism, think about abortion, think about marriage and sexuality. Think about all these things. The reason that there is so much tension and so much confusion is because we all have our own sense of what right is. We all think that we are right, and when two different groups of people think that they are right, we get confusion. Let me put it this way. Common sense only makes sense when we all have a common sense. Think about that, common sense only makes sense when we all have a common sense and that is why we need God that is why we need his righteousness we need his standard we need his perfection to be what we submit submit to we don't exist to try to bend God to our will we come to God and we submit ourselves to his will we don't try to talk him into our law we come to his law and we say God whatever you say goes remember it's kind of like the the organic thing right To one person, organic might be one thing, but to another person, organic might be another thing. No, we need one standard. We need to know that it is God himself, it is his righteousness that speaks forth. Verses 2 and 3 say this, Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silent. If our standard doesn't match up to God's standard, it's not because he hasn't revealed himself to us. It's not because he's somehow hiding himself. It might just be that he's not our flavor. But that sounds like a personal problem. Maybe we should start trying to gain an appetite for God and his righteousness and his law. So when it comes to evaluating religion, we must start with God. We are all too quick to think of our religion by starting with ourselves, right? Do I like the singing at this church? You know, does that preacher make me laugh? You know, am I going to be able to find community here? We're all so quick to start with ourselves. But true religion, the kind, the kind that comes from God, must start with Him. The question we should be asking when we show up at a church is, is God here? Does His righteousness shine forth? Is He the one who speaks from the rising of the sun to its setting? You know, is he the one who is at the front of the room, who the light is shining on? You know, to put it in the words of the text, does God shine forth? That's what we're doing here. That's why we're here tonight. So the first difference between true religion and false religion is that true religion comes from the true God. The second thing is this. True religion offers up what honors God. True religion offers up what honors God. So what is God's judgment? What does he have to say about our religion? Well, the conversation centers around sacrifices. Yes, literally, actually bringing animals or things like grain to God and offering them up to him as a sacrifice. And the people had actually become pretty good at this. And so that's why God says in verse 8, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. In other words, the problem had nothing to do with their ability to make sacrifices. Uh, And whatever their problem with God was, it couldn't be solved by simply making more sacrifices to Him. He goes on to say, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. God already owns everything. So it is foolish for us to think that when we offer him a sacrifice, it's because he actually needs something from us. Now, I love God's sense of humor here. You know, He almost just plays a little game with us, and he says, you know, let's just imagine for a second that I did have needs. Let's just imagine for a second that there was a time when I lacked something. And we dive into verses 12 and 13. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world in its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Even if it was true that God needed something, we would be the last people who He would ask. When I was in high school, I played baseball and I had the opportunity to dress out for the varsity baseball team as a freshman. And I got to tell you guys, I'm a little bit of a dreamer, you know. I had this whole scenario played up in my head where there was going to be this pivotal moment of a game, when I was going to go up to the coach, and I was going to say, Coach, put me in, you know, I'm ready to play, I'm ready to win the game for our team. And so one day we were struggling a little bit, and our shortstop had made a couple errors, and I'm thinking, oh, man, this is my moment, this is it, I'm going to get in. So I, you know, gain, gain up a little courage and just timidly go over to the coach and say, Coach, you know, I I see our shortstop struggling today. I, I could give it a try. I could try shortstop if you want me to. And he looked over and then looked down at me and said, Son, get your butt back on the bench. I know how to run this team. My dreams were crushed. I was living in a fantasy. But how prideful of us to think that God actually needs something from us. That he actually needs our opinions. That he needs us to come and help him know how to coach the game. To know how to lead our lives. You know, We we treat God like he's this little teeny weeny antsy God who should just be happy that we were willing to try out for his team in the first place. He should be happy that we were willing to support his campaign. So if God doesn't need anything from us, if he can't be bought with more sacrifices, then what is it that does make God happy? Verses 14 and 15. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God simply wants us to acknowledge him. So this is how simple, this is how simple true religion really is. It is literally acknowledging God with gratitude, being honest when we make promises to him, and treating him like he's the God we need rather than he's this little God who needs us. If we can say thanks, get honest, and cry out for help, we can glorify God. How simple is that? How exciting is that? True religion is simply a relationship is simply walking with God. So why do we have such a hard time with that? Why do we keep God at a a distance? Well, I think it's this, because all false religion is manageable. False religion keeps the ball in, in our court. See, if I actually start giving God thanks for all the things in my life, then I acknowledge that everything I have, all the good things, all the wonderful things I have, didn't actually come from me. They didn't actually come from my ability and my my smarts and my strength. It all came from God. And if it all comes from God, then I am totally at his mercy, which is a scary thought. And if we start getting honest with God, if we start acknowledging that that we're going to keep those promises that we make to him, I think we're scared because we know he might just ask something of us that we aren't willing to give. When we sing, you know, I surrender all, we really mean I surrender a lot, a good bit, a good amount, but not all, not everything. And if we actually started calling upon God in our moments of trouble rather than seeking our own self-salvations... If God actually was the one who totally and completely was our Savior, nothing from ourselves, we know, we know that that means we have to offer up our whole lives to Him. I think intuitively we know that if Jesus paid it all, then all to Him I owe. And that, to me, is one of the scariest places of all to be. Because if I actually receive from God everything that He's offered me, it means I have to offer Him my whole self. And I have to say, Lord, take me, use me. I'm all yours. Have you ever had somebody who offered you something, but you knew there were strings attached? You know, that person who wanted to buy you lunch, but you didn't let them, because you knew they might come back to you at some point and ask you to, you know, buy lunch for them. I think one of the reasons we refuse gifts is because we don't want anybody coming up to us and reminding us that we owe them. We want to be in control of our lives. But... Think about how belittling it is to treat God that way. When we won't accept all the gifts that He's trying to give us because we don't want to give Him control of our lives, it really just shows that we don't understand who He is. See, the reality is we owe God gratitude because He has given us everything we have, He's provided everything we need in our lives. It's kind of like, you know, if if my mom made me dinner and I said, no, mom. I am not going to eat this dinner because then I would have to pay you back. And she looked at me and said, uh, you do know, know that I own this house that you're living in and I bought you all those clothes that you're wearing, right? That's how ridiculous we are. We, we want to say, no, God, no, no, I'll, I'll do this part. And he's saying, everything you have is mine to begin with. And that's why we can walk with him in gratitude. God's problem with us is not that we don't sacrifice enough. His problem is that we don't trust Him enough to acknowledge that everything we have comes from Him. God is glorified when we stop treating Him like something to be managed, and we start trusting Him like a loving Father. So, the second difference between true and false religion is to offer up what honors God. The third is that true religion is more than talk about God. True religion is more than talk about God. Now, at this point, as we look at verses 16 through 21, we get the idea that God is addressing a group of professing believers and that some of them are genuine, some of them are true, and some of them are false. Some of them would pass the organic test and some of them would not. This is what he says. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? God is addressing people who know religious speak. They know the right things to say. They've grown up around the system. But their walk with God stops there. It stops with their speech. It stops with what they say. And he tells us that these people recite God's statutes and take his covenant on their lips. So let me put that in some helpful terms for us. Uh, this This is how this might look in someone's life. This would be a person who has pieces of scripture memorized. Uh, this would be a person who knows the difference between right and wrong. Uh, this would be a person who could maybe even quote for you the Ten Commandments and tell you how they work out in somebody's life. This would be somebody who knows they're supposed to read their Bible, they're supposed to pray, and they're supposed to come to church. That's what it means that they know his statutes. But there's more. This person has also made a public profession of faith. They have been baptized. They can talk about the significance of the blood of Jesus. They they know why the cross matters. They even know that it's important to have a relationship with Jesus. That's what it means that they take his covenant on their lips. Now let this sink in for a second. The people who God is talking about, those people, all of what I just said could be true of them. And yet they could not have true religion. They could not actually have a genuine relationship with God. If we think that true religion is about memorizing the right things to say so that we can sort of put up a front to then go and live our lives however we want and get God off our backs, then this passage is for us. But listen, as scary as this is, This this is scary. This is scary to hear from the Lord. Before we recoil and, and draw back from him, let's just acknowledge that the only reason this is in the Bible is because God really wants to save us. God really wants us to know, to make sure that we are the real deal, that we really are organic. So how can we know in our lives, how can we see in our lives if we are this person, Uh, We're just going to pop down through the text and look at these things that he gives us. First, this is what the Lord says. He says, for you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. So let's just ask ask some questions tonight. Um, How do you respond to life's challenges? When God disciplines you, does it drive you closer to him, or does it drive you away from him? See, true religion that comes from the true God acknowledges that major life renovations are needed. True religion welcomes the sledgehammers of life as God's grace, which actually lead us closer to him and make us more in love with Jesus. And what about God's word? When God's word is challenging to you, see how he says, you, know, you throw it behind your, they throw my words behind their back. You know, when you come upon a tough command in the Bible, Let's just pretend you're, you know, maybe you woke up this morning and you're reading your Bible and you came across a tough command from Jesus. Do you think, okay, wow, uh, it's time for me to change? Or do you think, I'm going to pretend like I didn't see that? True religion, the kind that comes from the true God, hungers for the word of God. Knowing that the, the word of God is, is life itself. That the person who's experiencing true religion makes all sorts of personal sacrifices, not only not to throw his word behind us, but to get his word deep down in us. God continues. He says, second, if you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. So let's ask ourselves this. What pleases us? What excites our hearts? Now, I don't think what this passage is talking about is that we shouldn't go make friends with sinners like Jesus did, who, who made who, some of his best friends were tax collectors and adulterers. I don't think that's what this is saying. I think what this is saying is, what does our heart celebrate? What do we love? Do we love the things that God loves? Do we celebrate the things that he celebrates? I think that's what this is really getting at. And finally, he says, you give your mouth free reign for evil. And your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. So let's think about our conversations. Do we lie to other people? Are we always sort of saying just the right things so that the other person doesn't quite understand what we're talking about? Are we quick to slander or to judge or to gossip about other people? Now, what I don't think is happening in this passage, I don't think what this is saying that if any of us struggle with these sins, that it means we're not a Christian. But I do think that we need to take a close and sober look at this list because God is essentially just showing us low-hanging fruit. This is low-hanging fruit for what it looks like for someone who makes a big profession about God, but that that the life of Jesus has never actually penetrated their soul, that they've never actually been transformed to know God and to, to walk with Him. True religion is more than talk about God. There's a, a parable in Matthew 21 that Jesus tells. I want you to listen carefully. A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said, said the same. He said, and and the, the other son answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Right? True religion is more than talk, it's more than what we say. The first son, he struggled to obey. Initially, he said the wrong thing, but then, eventually, he trusted the father and he did it anyways. God is okay with our struggle. What he's not okay with is our hypocrisy. He's not okay with us saying one thing and then doing another. I'm not sure if you've seen this, but there is a black and white photo where there's a big banner hanging on the back of a wall and in huge letters, the size of my body, it says, Jesus saves. And then right in front of that that big banner that says, Jesus saves. There's about 40 people in KKK uniforms. And you think, man, is there any more hypocritical picture in the entire universe that simultaneously we could be saying, Jesus saves, and at the same time be gearing up to go terrorize people who don't look like us? to be saying, you know, Jesus is my Savior, but you, no, 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 I I don't want any part with you. The height of hypocrisy. Now, if I'm honest, I actually kind of see myself in that picture. And not just for the reasons of racism and discrimination, although I have had to repent in my own heart of those sins. I think for me, when I look at that picture, where I see myself is this, that It's ironic that the hypocrite has a big hood over his face, has a big mask over his face, that the mark of hypocrisy is hiding. It's it's keeping people away. It's saying one thing but then doing another. And guys, if I'm honest, I've lived that. I've been that person. And it hurts so bad when God rips the mask off to save us When he comes to a hypocrite and he says, I'm gonna save you, I'm gonna gonna expose you so that I can love you, it hurts. But guess what, it's worth it. Psalm 50 is God ripping the hood off. And we can either hold on tightly and try to pull it back down and pull it back and say, no, 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 no. Or we can just let it happen, be embarrassed, confess our sins, and get saved. (laughs) In the long run, which sounds better? I'd rather be embarrassed for five minutes. True religion is more than talk about God, no matter how right that talk is. And finally tonight, true religion confirms the salvation of God. True religion confirms the salvation of God. So as we move to these last two verses of the psalm, I want to discuss the relationship excuse me, between true religion and salvation between true religion and salvation. Verses 22 and 23 paint a very different picture for the outcome of our lives. I just want to let you know that all of us here tonight, either verse 22 or verse 23 is going to be the outcome of our lives. That either when it's all said and done, our lives will have been verse 22, or when it's all said and done, our lives will have been verse 23. And so let's read those verses together. Mark this then You who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. The difference between true and false religion is not merely related to whether we enjoy life on this earth or not. The difference between true and false religion is whether in the end we are finally crushed by God or in the end we are finally saved by God. See, forgetting God is not like forgetting a hair appointment or forgetting to pay a bill on time. Forgetting God is like forgetting to breathe. Forgetting God is like forgetting to kneel when the king walks in the room, right? It's not just an oopsie-daisies. Forgetting God is suicide. It's not just an honest mistake. Forgetting God is treason. And I think if we're honest, we would all admit that at many points in our life, we have forgotten God, which means that all of us have committed treason. But here's the good news. God, rather than just wiping us all out because of our treason, he sent his son, Jesus, to come and live a perfect life He lived a life of true religion, the truest religion. And he died on the cross. And if you've ever wondered, what is that cross all about? What exactly does that cross mean? What was happening to Jesus on the cross is that he was experiencing the end of what happens to someone who forgets God. God was treating Jesus as if Jesus had forgotten him because all of us do forget God. It was our sin being placed upon him. What we deserved, being torn apart with no one to deliver, that was placed upon Jesus for our salvation. And that's amazing news. So this is the question I want to ask as we sort of move towards the end of this final point here. In light of this good news of Jesus Christ, is verse 23 teaching a works-based salvation? In other words, is verse 23 saying that if we can just get our act together, if we can just fix our lives, then Jesus will show us mercy? Let's read it together. Verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me to the one who orders his way rightly. I will show the salvation of God. Now this feels conditional. This feels like if I do something, then God does something in return. But I think we have to read this really carefully. What it doesn't say is, the one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me to the one who orders his way rightly, I will save him. That's not what it says. It says, I will show the salvation of God. So let's be clear. Religion, whether true or false, never saves anybody. Religion can't save us because we can't save ourselves. Salvation will never be something that we do. We must be saved from the outside in. But true religion does show us salvation, or put it this way, it reveals to us the depths of salvation. It reveals all that God has done for us in Christ. And I put, put together three little short statements that I think can help us understand what I'm talking about. Here's the first short little little statement. True religion shows us that we are saved. True religion shows us that we are saved. When we see evidence of a changed life, for example, when we start expressing gratitude to God and we begin living in his righteousness, it proves to us that he actually has come inside of our hearts and changed us from the inside out. That, That true religion is a proof of our salvation the second is this true religion shows us the benefits of being saved in other words walking in righteousness remember like that God who we talked about in the first six verses like he is righteous when we get to be like him when we get to live now like we're going to live forever in heaven how is that not one of the most amazing benefits of our salvation I mean Wouldn't it just be awesome to never complain again? Wouldn't it just be awesome to never feel discontent ever again? God is offering that to us now. He's saying, if you'll just learn to show me thanks, if you'll just learn to sacrifice thanksgiving, you'll stop complaining. You'll get now what you're going to get in eternity. And the third short little statement here is that true religion creates in us a deeper appreciation for being saved. True religion creates in us a deeper appreciation for being saved. Think about it like this. Thanksgiving in particular drives the nail of our salvation from our heads down into our hearts. If you're anything like me, you believe in Jesus, but you wished you believed in him more. You believe in Jesus, but you wish that you worshiped him more for everything that he's done for you. And when we express this gratitude and when we walk in his righteousness, it drives the nail of our salvation from our heads down into our hearts. I'll share a little quick story with you from Luke chapter 17. This is not a parable. This is an actual story. This is actually something that happened. It says, as Jesus entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So ten lepers, all crying out to Jesus for mercy. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Wow. Ten lepers cried out for mercy. Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll clean you. Then one of them when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. That is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That is what it looks like to do what God has commanded us to do in verses 14 and 15. Now the text tells us something. Now he was a Samaritan. He didn't grow up in the system. He didn't know the right religious talk. He wasn't an Israelite. But his life had been changed. And he was coming back, and he was going to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to Jesus. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. All ten were cleansed. All ten were met with the mercy of Jesus. There was, there was nothing that they could have done to invoke mercy upon themselves, and Jesus cleaned them. But one of them, one of them responded appropriate, appropriately to that mercy. One of them got, to, got the benefit of having his healing driven down from his head down into his heart, and he, all he could do was get on the floor and thank Jesus and worship God. True religion isn't trying to save ourselves, but it is trying to seek to understand and respond appropriately to all that God has done for us in Christ. True religion confirms the salvation of God because it is an overflow of a relationship with God. So where do we go from here? Are we true or false? Are we the real deal or are we faking it? Is this Christianity or churchianity? If you look up how to tell whether a diamond is real, you get a few different tests. Uh, The first test is called the fog tests. Seems a little bit shady to me. Apparently, you just just blow on a a diamond, and if it immediately goes away, then that means it's real. Uh, Again, seems a little suspect. The second test is called the water test. You take a diamond, you drop it down into a glass of water. If the diamond hits the bottom of the cup, then you know it's a real diamond. But the final test, the test that I like the most, is called heat the stone and see if it shatters. I like that. Uh, It takes a certain level of commitment. Uh, You take the diamond and you heat it up for about a minute, and then you drop it down into a a glass of cold water. And if it shatters, it wasn't a real diamond. Now, a uh, cubic zirconia or a CZ looks like a diamond. In fact, sometimes it even looks better than a diamond. But when it's put under the heat, it shatters. It doesn't actually stand the test. But a real diamond, because it's made of a different material, it can withstand the heat. It, it looks at a test like that and says, you know, bring it on. I want to know. I want to I see if I'm really made of a real diamond stuff, however that works. I know they don't actually think that way, but I'm, you get the point. So what about us? Does being authentic mean enough to us that we are ready to be put to the test? I say, bring it on. I say, bring on the heat. I want to know. I want to know if my religion is true or false. I want to know if I'm organic or not. If true religion is the worship of God that is pleasing to Him, which flows from the life of Christ in us, then true religion really only comes down to one thing. There's really only one thing that makes the difference between organic or not, fake or real, and it's this. Is the life of Christ in us or not? If he's in us, then we can say, bring on the heat, bring on the test. And listen, how gracious of God to put us in the heat now, to put us under the test of the judgment of Psalm 50 tonight now so that we don't have to be shattered at the final judgment day. How thankful should we be that tonight He has come to us in His grace and said, I'm going to test you now so that you can tell whether you're real or not while you still have time to do something about it. Our God is so gracious. He is so patient. All He wants for us tonight is to turn to Him with thankfulness. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to sing. And when we sing, we're going to offer up a thanksgiving sacrifice to God. We're going to drive the nail of our salvation from our heads down into our hearts. And this morning, we, or excuse me, this evening, I knew that was going to happen. It's probably happened more than once. Sorry. Uh, intentionally, wanted to read the text uh, first, just to let God have the first word. And so tonight, I want to let him have the last word as well. This, this really is our sal- this is This is what Christianity really is about. You know, this is, this is what our church is really all about. Right here at the end of verse 15, I'm going to leave you with this, and then we're going to offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Psalm 50:15, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Amen. Let's pray. God, I praise you. I praise you for your word. I praise you for your church. And I pray, God, that you would bring, bring whatever heat necessary into our lives to test us, to prove us. God, don't let us go through this life thinking that because we said all the right things, that that means we're genuine. God, work a real and genuine life of Christ into our hearts, that we might be changed, that we might glorify you. And God, help us tonight just to see the wonder that you would be so gracious not only to, to test us, but also just to make things so simple for us. <laughs> just to say thanks, just to be honest, just to cry out to you for help. That's all you want. God, we're sorry for making it so complicated. We're sorry for trying to hold on to control. And so tonight we just surrender. We surrender, we submit to you. We want you to be glorified. We want you to be magnified in our lives. And so now we turn to offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving because you are are worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.